People who discover it for the first time think it must be a dating site for red pandas. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that is celebrating International Red Panda Day this week, the Rasafari Podcast. That's right, y'all. It is my favorite international holiday this Saturday. We will be celebrating International Red Panda Day, and uh, if you don't know what that is then what the heck are you doing listening to this podcast, right? But uh, also, it is a thing through Red Panda Network where all around the world, zoos and uh, conservationists will be celebrating my favorite animal, the red panda. And uh, there are going to be all kinds of cool things. If you get a chance to go to a zoo this weekend, they'll have special enrichment at some of them and cool signage and fun activities. And definitely make sure that you are looking at all of the social medias because uh, those medias are going to be social. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, no, because those medias are going to be um, sharing cool things about about the first panda, not the imposter bear. So uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited to be celebrating this incredible day uh, with our friends at Red Panda Network, and I'm bummed I'm going to be out doing shows in California, which, uh, I mean, okay, that's not something to be bummed about. We all know I love that. But uh, it means I won't actually be able to get to any zoos to celebrate International Red Panda Day on the actual International Red Panda Day, and apparently I just really like saying International Red Panda Day. But so while I will only be celebrating in spirit, I'm going to be celebrating this whole week, and part of that is bringing you today's episode. When I was out in California earlier this year, I got to hang out with a internet friend in person. Uh, this was Justin Fairchild, and Justin is not only one of the few people in the world who I can truly say is a more obsessive fan of Red Pandas than I am, and also one of the few people in at least the country who has way more Red Panda merch than I do, and that is really saying something. But Justin is the owner, host, programmer, all the things of redpandafinder.com, which is an amazing website. And I'm going to let him describe to you exactly what it is and how it works in this episode. Uh, but I can tell you, I love it and I regularly reference it. And uh, you'll even get to hear a cool story in this episode about how this website influenced me and a cool little experience that I got to have. Uh, along with talking about that, we also just kind of nerd out about pandas and talk about what it means to be someone who can nerd out about pandas. And we also uh, spent some time talking about Justin got to go on a Red Panda Network eco trip to Nepal. Did he see a red panda or red pandas in the wild? Uh, I don't know. You'll have to listen to find out. Uh, and we talked about the incredible fanda community. It is what it is uh, that you can find online. And, you know, a lot of you who listen to this podcast are a part of that or at least see me referencing it and are aware that us weirdos are out there. So, yeah, it's it's a really different, interesting and and unique uh, Raw Safari episode. Right. Not going to be many, you know, computer programmers that we have on the episode, but there is some really good discussion about individual pandas, about how money can really influence conservation in cool ways, and uh, just just two fans nerding out about why red pandas are awesome and why Red Panda Network is the absolute bomb diggity. 
That is that is fact. That's not me using weird phrasing. That is the scientifically correct description of Red Panda Network. Y'all, on a side note, I'm uh, I'm recording this as I'm in Cleveland doing my grad school stuff and getting ready to travel to California and figuring out visiting Miles and uh, planning a wedding. And um, I'm exhausted. I am. Yeah, so you'll have to excuse the bomb diggity line. (laughs) Nah, we having fun. We having fun. But so here's the deal. Make sure you are following me uh, at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. There will definitely be lots of special posts this week about red pandas. And of course, make sure you hit subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes of the Rossafari podcast. And I have blathered on long enough. So without further ado, here is my interview with Justin Fairchild of redpandafinder.com. <laughs> So, um, y'all, I am surrounded right now. There's, there's no other way to put it. Um, I am completely and utterly surrounded by red pandas, which is awesome, but like not the whole living kind per se. Um, but boy, do we have photos and boy, do we have stuffed pandas and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. So uh, let's start off by uh, me asking you, who the heck are you and why am I at your house right now? My name is Justin Fairchild and I'm crazy about red pandas. And crazy. I made the site redpandafinder.com. Yes. And um, if you don't know what redpandafinder.com is, first of all, get off my podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Stay, but also go look it up. Um, this is going to blow your mind a little bit if you don't know that this exists. Justin, tell my listeners what your website is. Um, people who discover it for the first time think it must be a dating site for red pandas, as if you know they have phones and they go online and they try and find matches. But P.S. I would like one of those websites, please. Which is actually Sarah Glass's that website. It's called the SSP. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> registered matchmaker and zoologist. Um, but it's a red panda finder is a zoo database of red pandas, and you can navigate through that database by their genealogy. So, let's say your zoo is in Pennsylvania, and Ooh. you really like Slash or Ooh. Ember these very special red pandas. So you can go on red panda finder and find them. And there'll be a few photos of them, like anywhere from like a handful to a dozen to occasionally hundreds. And then there's links to the mom and dad and that panda siblings. And you can also see what the pandas look like sort of by their family arrangements. So you can see the other pandas that were in that litter. So red pandas have, one to four children in their litters, like three or four is really rare. Normally the standard is one or two. And you can see them all together and you can see how they're similar. You can see photos of them playing. It's, it is the internet as if the internet was designed for red pandas. It is a lovely place. And I need to tell a little bit of a story um, about my experience with, uh, with Red Panda Finder. I mean, let's be honest, I'm on this thing all the time. If I'm having a bad Tuesday, then I'm probably hopping on and finding a random panda and thinking it's adorable. But going beyond that, um, the way that I first really got to know Red Panda Finder is when Amaya, one of the pandas who lived at Elmwood Park Zoo, y'all know I love me my Elmwood Park Zoo, um, passed away. And, and she was, she was 10, um, which was, you know, a good life, but, but not super long for, for captive, uh, you know, a captive panda. And it was an unexpected thing. She had an injury. It got infected. They tried to fight it. They couldn't. And we lost Amaya, who I just absolutely adored. She was one of my OG favorites. And, um, I was always sad that I never got the chance to meet Amaya, like behind the scenes or anything. And so I discovered that, you know, Red Panda Finder is out there. And I discovered that her parents are gone, but that Amaya actually had two children before I knew her, Samson and Delilah. 
And I was able to click on Samson and Delilah and find out where they were. And they both happened to be at zoos that my touring and um, podcast took me to. And so I made it a point to meet Samson and Delilah. And that was the closest I could come to meeting Amaya. And it was my favorite thing. It was so sweet. It was so cool. And one of the cool things about Amaya was that she had a super white face. Even for red pandas, she had a super white face, as does Samson as does Delilah. And seeing that was amazing. And having that database and making that connection really meant the world to me. And I'm sure that a lot of you listening to this right now are thinking, holy crap. I knew that John was nuts about red pandas, but I did not realize that this was a whole culture. But Justin, this is a whole culture, right? It is like one. I don't know how big it is. Like, Well, how many unique visitors do you get a month? If I trust my numbers, I get around 3,000 unique hits a month. So yeah, I mean, it might not be a huge culture, but that's pretty solid, right? Like that's that's 3,000 people every month that are like, I need to see what's going on in the world of red pandas right now. I guess the good thing is if you're on Instagram or if you're on social media and you follow like these red panda accounts, like there's a there's quite a few of them. And I know that most of those people are aware of red panda finder because kind of how that started was me following their Instagram threads and enjoying their photos and thinking, well, I'm so grateful for everything they share. I should share some of mine. So just reaching those people that I really respect, it means a lot. That's like, awesome. I love that. And every once in a while you meet someone you get to respect and then take them out for Indian food and then play jazz. Cause that's what we did tonight. It has been an awesome night. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah, we are nerding out hard in this place right now. Um, there are pandas, there's jazz, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, it's a very, very Rasafari night. We're having fun. But um, yeah, so tell me more about this, though. What inspired you? I mean, you said that it was the Instagram accounts that inspired you to start this. But how do you go from looking at a couple of pictures, or let's be honest, a couple thousand pictures of red pandas, to saying, I am going to document the lineage and all of the moves and the the deaths and lives and all of these amazing red pandas? It's a little bit of a long story. But before I go into that story, I just wanted to remember to say this. I don't have very many photos of Samson, the red panda, and he has a very cute sort of squishy face, and I really like him. So if you have more I have more. Awesome. I have more. I guarantee you I have more. So if I'm going to go back to where this started. Actually, we're going to pause for a second. Okay. Because of what you just said. Okay. So how many pandas are in this database? Uh, Roughly. I think 1,333 right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was such a good answer. And, and you're instantly like, I don't have a lot of pictures of Samson. How well do you know what is up on that site right now? Um, I don't have a statistics mode where I can get all sorts of numbers because even though I write code, like I spend more time uploading photos just because that's like the emotional heroine, so to speak. It's like, it feels really good to see pandas every morning and to catalog them in an Apple notes file and to like give them little star ratings so that I know which ones I want to prioritize adding and stuff like that. But it, just to give you an idea of what's going on, um, there's a particular Japanese contributor that shares photos and I add them to Red Panda Finder. And in three more photos, he will have a thousand photos on Red Panda Finder. And like, I'm so grateful. Like, I, I, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do, but I want to do something special for when I hit a thousand photos for him. That is really amazing. And that'll probably happen tomorrow because... I literally add photos almost every day. Right. Yeah, no, I know you do. It's amazing. Um, wow. I wonder how many I have on there. And also why I haven't sent you so many more because like, dude, I have so many photos of red pandas that I've taken. So we should probably, before I leave, uh, look into that. So as it turns out, it is much easier for me to share photos that have been publicly added to somebody's feed. In a lot of cases where somebody shares it privately with me, I have to like make a copy of it and mirror it on my own web hosting and I can do that, but if I'm just sharing, resharing something, or if I'm embedding it into my site, I think that's the right technical term, um, then it's rel relatively quick, and I just need the URL gotcha. to the photo. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, you, you, you don't look out too much there. I only do, you know, one to three pandas a week. I know, it's a, it's a damn dirty shame. But you do ones that I don't have as much. Like, you're, you're a very useful contributor to <laughs> Red Panda Finder. Yeah, like, yeah. I wouldn't know Samson nearly as well. Samson's so good. So, okay. So yeah. So let's go back now and tell me the history of, of how this got rolling and just, just tell me your nerdy story. 
Okay. It's a fun story and a sad story, like many of these go. Um, I was with somebody for about eight years, and about three years into our relationship, I think she asked me one day, what animal would represent her? And I kind of had a casual enjoyment of zoos and animals, and, you know, it's it's one of the things you would rabbit hole reading Wikipedia, you know, like, let's read about random animals. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately thought of, like, the most beautiful animal, like, sweet and kind of lazy. <laughs> and it was the red panda. So I knew the animal that represented her was a red panda. So from that moment, we would share photos and videos of red pandas. And I think the first video that we ever saw that we really latched onto was one that I called Scaredy Bear, and I still call Scaredy Bear. And it's by this YouTube person called MMovies21. And in Japan, they don't do anything in half measures. So MMovies21 has a Scaredy Bear video, and it has about 8 million views because it's this zookeeper walking in and startling this red panda. And she falls on her back, and she makes the uh, huff-quack sound, which, if I can demonstrate, is ah, 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 ah. So when a red panda is very unhappy with you, that's what they do. But MMovies21 has a number of other videos. And as I kept watching them over time, I realized that some of them were the same pandas. And in fact, all these videos were taken at the same zoo, which is Sapporo Mariyama Zoo in Japan. And after a few years of following MMovies21 and seeing these videos appearing, like I started recognizing the animals and over time, you know, get really close to them because every week there would be at least one new video and the backlog of amazing red panda baby playing and fighting and snowballs and like snow tackling. Like there's just always something new to watch. In 2016, there was news, though, that one of the pandas would be moving to a new zoo. And I was shocked because I didn't like I assume this was a thing that happened, but I didn't know how often it happened. And that really sort of made me realize how real this all was, that like these weren't just like videos of cute animals. These were animals that I knew, animals that I'd grown to love, and I was witnessing their life. So a lot of what I was witnessing was special and precious. Um, I can't remember what the word is, but the Japanese have a word for something where you're in the moment and you're part of it. And you know that moment won't happen again. So it was very sad and bittersweet when Keen moved from Mariyama to Kashiro Zoo. And I remember there was a video with a really sad song in it. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Because Keen lived with her sister, Gin. Keen and Gin. Nice. That's gold and silver in Japanese. They were twin sisters. and. They were inseparable for four years. There's so many wonderful videos of them together and playing and fighting and just being great red pandas. But Keen moved because she had a breeding recommendation. And little did I know, but Keen Bear was pregnant and the zoo needed to make room. So in June 2016, I think it's June 8th, that is when Gein's baby was born, and that was the first baby that I'd seen come to life through these videos, and it became even more real to me. And when an animal baby is born, they're very small, they're very precious, and I knew from the science and the research that red pandas, before they're like 50, 60 days old, that's when they're most vulnerable. So they're either going to live a relatively decent lifespan or, you know, you might not have them very long. So the first video of Marumi-chan was like 23 days old. And M-Movies and Cattail Sapporo, another wonderful Instagram, YouTube person, were sharing videos of Marumi all the time. So I'd have new videos almost every day, seeing this little ball of fur grow. (laughs) She quickly became quite a lot of trouble because she was a very healthy red panda. (laughs) She was also a solo red panda. So 
I think if you look at the percentages, most red panda litters are twins of some variety. Yes. But Marumi was a single, so she didn't have anybody to play with. So at about five months, around the same time that they start learning how to actually chew food and that keepers are able to seduce them with the sweet, sweet drug that is apples. And grapes. And grapes. That's when she discovered her mom's tail. (laughs) And that became the sole object of her pouncing. And there's videos of her being dragged along by her mouth (laughs) while her mom walks around and does her little squeaks and is irritated at this whole thing. But Marumi eventually started growing up and she became more of a normal panda and her and Gein lived together for another three and a half years, I want to say. Anyways, in 2017, early in 2017, my partner and I broke up. And that was really hard because I think part of the reason it happened was seeing Marumi grew up, seeing that little panda grow made me realize that like there is a purposefulness And like being part of somebody's health and well-being and like being a part of them growing and getting stronger. And I'd never wanted kids before that, but I eventually realized watching Marumi grow up that that was like, there was a lot of purpose in that more than in anything else I could think of doing. And that changed things for us. Eventually I was single and the only thing I had to keep me sane was these red pandas that I would watch videos of. And my ex suggested that instead of texting her red panda photos all the time, that I should try sharing my photos with the rest of the world. It's worth noting that at the end of 2016, I think October 8th it was, I think I still remember the day, that was when the zoo here in San Jose, Happy Hollow, got its first red pandas. So now... I could have red pandas be part of my actual life and not just part of going online. It was great. For a while, there was a billboard along US 101, and it was red pandas now at Happy Hollow Park and Zoo. (laughs) That's awesome. It was wonderful. And I tried to buy that billboard, and I tried to call (laughs) the people that put it up, and they didn't get back to me. I was sad. I'm laughing not at you, but because um, Elmwood Park did some – some promotional stuff, and I never tried to buy the billboard. That's a, that's impressive. But um, I was hoping to buy – they had some signs up at the mall, and they were like huge signs, and I was hoping to buy their Red Panda one. And same thing. I could never really find out where they were or who had them or anything. But, uh, but yeah, no, we are, a, we are a special breed, aren't we? I don't know where I would have put it. Like <laughs> if you had bought that sign, where would you have put it? <laughs> I have no idea. It's like <laughs> – you need, you need a red panda touring show. It's like a big red panda backdrop behind your drums. I mean, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. But for a while on my tour bus, um, I had the the banner that they have hanging at Zoo Atlanta with Iggy on it back oh. when she was there. And I still have it up in my drum room. But uh, yeah, but that was on the tour bus. I had it hanging in the back lounge. That's pretty great. <laughs> still not a billboard, though. Holy crap, a billboard. <laughs> so I'm going back to 2017. I was a sad panda. I was a very sad panda. I was heartbroken. And I remember talking to a counselor and trying to explain the red panda thing and (laughs) getting this sort of quiet, polite incredulousness. It's like, you're actually crazy. And I wasn't sure how things were going to go forward. But later in 2017, Kinchan, the panda that moved to Kashiro Zoo, she had a baby. And before that baby was able to get a name about three weeks into its life, Kinchan got an illness and she died. And I was totally heartbroken because I had made plans to go to Japan to see Kinchan and Ginchan and to see all these pandas that I'd started learning about on Instagram. Like, we eventually went. I say we because my ex also loved red pandas a lot, and we both went to Japan. And I I think I was confirmed insane at this point because that's not a thing most people would do. But No, I am friends with many exes, and I still would not travel halfway across the country or share the panda experience with them. So um, props to you for being so open-minded or 
Crazy. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> but the one good part through all that is that we felt very welcome. When you go to a zoo and you see people with giant multi-thousand dollar cameras and they're staying out at one of the red panda enclosures all day. Like you don't need to speak the same language to know that they're your people. Right. Right. And we met quite a few of those. And I think even on that first trip, I met cattail Sapporo, uh, Ishimisu-san. And as hard as that was emotionally, it was also a really wonderful trip in terms of, well, I thought at the time it was going to be closure. It's like, I've been crazy about these red pandas, but now I'm not with my partner anymore who embodied red pandas. And, you know, maybe I'll just get this out of my system. Clearly, that's not what happened. No, no, no. I'm looking around at like 8 million red panda things right now. So I'm going with no. So in 2018, I learned that Hokuto-kun, who is... Uh, he, he was a three-year-old boy born in 2014 at Mariyama Zoo. He was going to move. And I was going to be, I was not going to miss that. Not for the world. So with about two weeks advance notice of this move happening, I made plans to go to Japan to see him off. Wow. I, I, I did that with the Genso in Columbus, but that was Columbus, not Japan. It's worth saying that there are a lot of Japanese red panda fans and they post a lot of photos. Oh yeah. And if there was anything near that community here in the States, I'm sure I wouldn't have been traveling across the Pacific. No, I think it's, I think, I think absolutely right. Although our, our community is growing and we'll talk a little bit about that, but, but um, you know, whether it's Carolyn who runs uh, Carson, the red pandas Instagram page or you, me and Christy Nuss hanging out in Columbus. And uh, we met some other wonderful people there as well. Um, you know, who knew the pod and know our pages and all that stuff. Um, there is a, a small but mighty community of, of us insane humans. Like, it doesn't really matter if it's big. It just matters if it's good. Yep. And it's been very good. And after that second trip and having people just being really generous and patient with my almost complete lack of Japanese skill, I, and especially after all the little gifts and nice things that I would take back with me, with all these pandas that I just loved so dearly, which was a growing number at this point. Like it wasn't just the Mariyama pandas and the Kashiro pandas. It was Ichikawa zoo, Tama zoo, a bunch of others. Um, and I would see people's Excel spreadsheets of their genealogies of these pandas. And I'd learn their names and I'd, I'd get their actual Japanese names too, like the spellings and everything. And that was really useful because one day I also discovered the PDF exports of the Zims database that contains the actual stud book of Zoo Red Pandas. Mm -hmm. Like there were a couple of these PDFs that were hosted publicly and you could just Google for them. I think I discovered it because I was searching Red Pandas by name. And if you search an uncommon enough name, inevitably these PDFs will be in your search results. So I eventually discovered them. And so I had I had these very well curated Japanese Excel spreadsheets from like five or six different people. And then I had these stud books, some of which had pandas that were never born that were like bad data. And others that were like bad romanizations of the Japanese names. And by this point it was 2018. I was still sad panda. <laughs> Um, people had suggested it would be cool if there was a red panda family tree that you could just see them. And that June, being kind of at the low of lows and not having anything else to do, I started sketching out what a family tree would look like on the web. And at first, I thought, well, I just need to download all these photos from Instagram and like copy them and save them and then just make a website around them. And I realized that that probably wouldn't be to Instagram's terms of service. <laughs> and I wouldn't make any favors if the people that I was sharing their photos didn't know who I was. Right, right. Like, 
I still get mad when people share my stuff without giving credit. They'll literally zoom it in a little bit to, to wipe the watermark off or whatever. And I'm like, what? Just, just give credit. It's fine. So here's the thing. When I first started Red Panda Finder, the entire goal was to like have links to Red Panda Network and to have that featured on every single page and make that sort of a funnel for people to like consider donating to their charitable work in Nepal. Because if you love red pandas, then protecting them in the wild is critically important to you. It's a no-brainer. So I figured with that in mind, I didn't have to worry about whether I had permission or not. Like I figured if I'm doing this for a good cause, like if I'm collecting good photos of these animals and, you know, just a few of them, like at that time I was thinking, you know, if I had more than like four or five photos of an animal, it would just be too many to manage. Like I could, like I couldn't imagine like wanting more than a handful of photos for each animal. So I started collecting the URLs from Instagram, like the share links. And I would make notes of each panda and their name and like what the link was. And I figured out what I needed to do to embed those links in my page. And I remember testing it for Harumaki-chan at Ichikawa Zoo. And I had about a dozen, two dozen photos of her at the time. I was like, okay, I'm going to choose the best five. And after a couple days, I had all 24. (laughs) Then I realized that things could pretty quickly get out of hand. It took about three months, maybe four months. I think it was October 2018 when the very first version of Red Panda Finder came online. And I think it had 20-some pandas and like maybe about 100 photos. Just something really basic just to show that it could work. And I was really happy with that. It looked really close to how it looks now. And just over time, it kept growing. But initially, I didn't care about having permission from people to like put the photos up there. I figured, you know, we're going to save the red panda. So, you know, if people want to get hurt feelings about my using their photo when I don't have any advertising and any other things on here, like, I think hurting their feelings is less important than saving the red panda. Okay. Yeah, I can I can understand that. But, but you have changed your tone on that a little bit. Somewhat. Um. Because you realize that other people want to save the red panda too. And you like you meet these people and like you're close to their feeds over time. And it's like you don't see them as just, oh, you share panda photos. Like you start seeing them as these are people like me. And after that and after a few people like called me out on it, I started trying to get permission from everybody that I could. I've probably still failed a couple instances where like there are photos up there that I didn't ask for. And it takes about three times as much effort to get permission to do the photos than it does to actually just put them online. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, getting permission to do things is always the hardest, but it's still the right thing. So, Mm -hmm. and, and one thing that I'll say real quick is that as you've gotten bigger and as more people have gotten to know both the site and just you and the, the good person that you are, like a lot of us have just given you carte blanche. Like you have many of my photos on your site. You have asked me once. And I said, yes, you may always post my photos. And I've also sent you additional ones and stuff, but like, it's not like you have to ask for every picture at least, which is, which is nice. And it does make my life a lot easier and I'm grateful for it. And I'm not sure I remember if I asked you before I had put your first photo on Red Panda Finder. I don't don't know, but you did ask me at some point and that's, that's good enough. I think, I think it's really important that like, as we all figure out our way through, like, like you're talking about starting a website, I started a podcast Hello. And um, I also didn't really know what the heck I was doing. And a lot of the things that I did early on were probably not um, right or correct. Or I've definitely had to apologize or, or um, you know, whatever in how I handled certain things early on. But I, I learned and I was doing it for the right reason. And it was all fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, you hope people can see that. But mm. especially with the Japanese, I think the language barrier, like, that could cause problems. Like people couldn't necessarily take for granted that I wanted good and right things. Right. And I know there's been cases where people would have public feeds and they would make them private on Instagram. And when you do that, that makes them invisible to websites that would embed them. Ah. So eventually I had to write a feature where if you made your photos private, I could 
run a script and delete them all from Red Panda Finder at once. I also wrote a script so that if they ever made them unprivate and they were public again, I could re-add all of them to Red Panda <laughs> Finder at once. <laughs> oh, you do like your nerdiness. That's good. That's good, though. That's important. So, um, all right. So we know that you're getting about 3,000 unique visitors a month. And you have um, all the pandas on there. And so how did you get everything you've talked about so far is, is Japan. So how did this become the U.S. domestic red panda database that has made my life so much easier? I think the first zoo in the U.S. that I had in the database was Columbus Zoo. And the reason I say that is because Homer, a female panda from Columbus Zoo, moved to Japan. So when I was doing the Japan genealogies and following the trees, I eventually hit Homer and saw that her tree went back to the U.S., So that was my first cut across the water, so to speak. Wow. And initially, like, I didn't have a whole lot of animals from the U.S. But as it turns out, especially if you follow the Stiani pandas, almost all of the animals in the U.S. come from Japan originally. Makes sense. So you follow the genealogy, and I, before I knew it, I literally had almost every panda in every U.S. zoo. It's worth saying that my Japanese followers, I get updates about red panda moves and changes there every week as they happen. Right. Like they have very good awareness of what's going on. My data in the US is pretty good, but I don't always have things perfectly up to date, especially with US babies. I try not to add baby photos until I know exactly which animal is which photo. And especially before the animals get names, that takes a lot of detective work. Like sometimes I will like pour over these photos for hours of like pairs of babies trying to like figure out which facial tics clearly identify one or the other. Makes sense. I still struggled that with that with Audra and Lenore at Cincinnati for some reason. Me too. I They're always, very similar. They're so similar. Like one has thinner teardrop white marks above their eyes. And I think that's the only read I have. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like differences in the body and tail, but when you're judging just by photos, like people usually just get the face and not the whole body. So like, yep. that's the other nice thing about having thousands and thousands of these photos is like any tell in how these animals look, you can learn to read them. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I know both you and I, the pandas that we know and that we know well, uh, but it's like looking at human faces, you well, know? I'm convinced that humans recognize each other's faces through daily training because when I spend a couple hours a day looking at red panda faces, I identify them the same way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that, um, that, that comes to an interesting thing that, that um, some of the photos are being used for. Um, uh, so, so talk to me about that because this is a really cool thing. And I'm so excited that some of my photos were used in this. I was contacted by a keeper on Instagram and she told me that there was a group out of uh, – Chengdu that was trying to do facial recognition for their red pandas. It was interesting because I would later learn that the uh, Chengdu base for panda breeding, I think that's its official name. They have a lot of interesting technological tools for managing their collection of animals. They have, I think on the order of hundreds of red pandas So they're able to do things like genetic testing. And I think they do identifications based on their genes. Um, A lot of this is in the new Angela Gladstone Red Panda textbook, which is wonderful and amazing. Everyone should own a copy, clearly. Uh, Obviously. I mean, they're flying off the shelves. I'd hope so. But they're also trying to do facial recognition through machine learning so that they can identify animals by photo if they're taking photographs in the field. So we've gone through a few different ways of trying to give them photos from the red panda finder data set. Um, I think for the machine learning image recognition models, the goal is to have 30,000 photos tagged and identified correctly. And if you have that sort of initial seed data, 
you have enough to train an algorithm to recognize the animals by their faces. As time went on, I developed more and more features for Red Panda Finder. And a lot of this was just to like know whether I had duplicate photos of particular types or not. So one of the things I eventually added was tags. So you can search pandas by tag like snow or standing or smile or bamboo or you just you describe something that's in the photo. And if I have manually tagged that photo with that tag, you can search for it. And you can search for combinations of these tags too, which incidentally is one of the reasons I made Red Panda Finder because Instagram does not let you search by combinations of hashtags. I think it's a privacy thing, but I think it also gives control for like, it gives power more power to their algorithm to like judge what you want to see versus like giving you like some really complicated manual query system, which I think for many people that's probably fine, but I wanted perfect searching. So Red Panda Finder. <laughs> So initially I had these tags like portrait, which means it's a square photo. And it also means you probably got a full shot of their face. They have things like tongue and whiskers. So portrait and whiskers and close up. If I have those three tags together, you would think that's probably a good photo for doing a facial recognition. So we tried with like data sets of just those photos and they still struggled. And a lot of that is because, as you just said with Audra and Lenore, if there are related animals, mm-hmm. like probably Red Panda Finder has mistakes in its data. Like I might not have named them correctly. And if I didn't do it right, then I'm going to be training the machine wrong. But even with animals that I've like closely studied and I have their photos straight, they look very similar, like moms to babies. Like Lynn looks a lot like Audra and Lenore, her oh, children. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's, it's a hard problem. It's extra hard. I think too, because with the light and dark of the color, uh, it changes with the natural lighting. Yeah. Um, I remember back when bandit and Santi at Columbus were cubs, um, their, their faces have become more similar. They still look night and day to me, but they've become more more similar now. But, um, early on, uh, Santi had none of the white that Genso had her father, but bandit did. And I saw a picture of Santi that I literally knew was Santi because I was the one who took it and I was right there and it was in my set with Santi, but the light was hitting her face. And I would to this day guess it was a bandit pick if I didn't know the context. Yeah. Anything that you view the world through, you're not getting the actual world. You're getting like some model. It's either mental representation through your eyes, like light through a camera lens, like pressure waves through the microphone. Like it's, it's, it's not the thing. It's like your perception of it. So that's always going to be really fussy and tough. The best thing that I've figured out to do for these guys is I am now tagging photos with sample. Now sample, you can actually search for this in Red Panda Finder now, and you'll get all the photos that are in a in the in the right kind of lighting with the right framing and the right amount of face and body and features that I would hope if I fed that to a machine learning algorithm and enough of those photos that it would be able to make sense of it. So I'm actually tagging photos specifically for this machine learning now. And I think I have probably five or 600 photos tagged sample now. Wow. Like I already have quite a few, but I need a lot more. Like I I figure at least 20,000 of the, however many photos I have could potentially be samples. So there's a lot more I need to tag. And I don't even have like 30,000 photos total on Red Panda Finder yet. So it I probably won't have a good data set for them until 2023 at the earliest. Gotcha. But you're doing all of this yourself, right? Like this is just your little project and, and you know, you love it and you do it. And how long do you spend on this every week? Uh, probably spend at least seven to 10 hours a week. All right. That's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, a lot of that is just emotional feeding though. It's like if I'm on Instagram and I'm copying share links for later adding to red Panda finder, that's just, that's just self care in a sense. Like Mm -hmm. that's just me keeping up with the Joneses a little bit. And amusingly, like my backlog is now probably 10,000 photos. Like I have a ridiculous backlog. Get your stuff together. Come on. I need to see more Rasafaris on there. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, need, I need volunteers or clones of myself. Like, 
realistically, the reason I haven't involved more people is just, I don't like, it's hard enough to make changes to the data set and like go through that whole revision merge process. It's, it's very much a software merge revision process. And the only way you really learn it is by writing software, but also how many people are out there that know these red pandas and I can identify them as well as I can. Right. It's like not a huge number of people. And until I meet somebody that's like got the technical skills and is a panda lunatic, I just haven't figured out how I could make it work. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always hard to bring people into your passion project. I mean, they have to have the same passion. And like you said, the technical side and like, that's really challenging to find. And even when you do have people that have – like we have this same love, but here I am doing a podcast. I ain't got time for that. Not that I have the technical knowledge either. I'm a drummer. But um, – and I can you know make this thing sing and do all kinds of cool audio stuff, but a lot of people can't do that. And like, yeah, it's, it's a whole – yeah. yeah. I don't think you want to be out there co-hosting a podcast with me every week, and I don't want to be – doing coding or whatever you cool kids call it on your website. And that's just, yeah, we all have our thing. Well, you, you hope that people optimize for like what really moves them and what they're good at. And I guess the good news is with 3000 monthly visitors and with you sharing this to all of your podcast listeners, Woo. maybe that crazy person is out there in the wings somewhere. I mean, we got some crazy people that listen to Rasafari, I'm just saying. So maybe. <laughs> but um, so let's talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned Red Panda Network. And you and I are both uh, pretty involved with, with our buddies at RPN. And so I would like to talk about a couple of different things. First of all, I feel like a lot of people get the feeling that they can't be involved in conservation because they have a nine to five and blah, 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 excuses, excuses, excuses. Totally get it. Totally respect it. We all have busy lives. Without going into too much detail, um, you work in tech and are successful and and um, are in a good place financially because of that job. And you choose to put that to conservation. And you make a huge impact. So can you just talk a little bit about how having a day job that has nothing to do with Red Pandas um, has ultimately helped Red Pandas? It's kind of hard to explain. Like, I live in a place where it's very expensive and... I think people are really focused on just like feeling like they're keeping up and like staying afloat here. And that that's a lot of work and you have to really be focused on your career and like on yourself in order to like, just stay on that treadmill. And I've been lucky enough that like I had a couple lucky breaks in my career. So if I see out there in the world that like this animal that I really care about and I really love is, you know, endangered or is vulnerable, it's very clear to me that I want to be working on that and supporting that and that I care more about that than having a new car payment. That's that's a no brainer, especially since driving in the Bay Area is awful. Fair, fair. I mean, people like nice cars here, and I just don't understand it because driving is not great. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not just the cars thing, though. It's like you have to be put in a position where you step outside yourself and you realize there's this thing that is so important that, like, I do whatever I can to support that. You know, I just I think it's important for people to realize and to hear the message that, like, your nine to five can have a huge impact and, and whether it's, it's financials or whether it's um, using vacation time to go out and do conservation or work or whatever, like you can, you can do the thing and and it's cool to do the thing and it's good to do the thing. And it's more important than getting a second Tesla or whatever. Again, the cool kids are doing nowadays. They're probably car companies. I don't even know about that, that you see up here all the time. Um, but, and you, speaking of, of travel, you have, you have done, the Red Panda Network Eco Trip. Tell me all the things. That that was such a blessing. I was very lucky. So there was a contest for that contest. Like if you signed up on some Red Panda Network thing, you would be entered to win. Or I think it was the donate. It was donors to Red Panda Network would be entered in a drawing to win a trip to Nepal on one of the uh, conservation trips. And my ex won it, but she was very busy in her life and her work right then. And this was 2019. 
So when she couldn't go, she offered to give it to me. Wow. That's better than what happens with most ex relationships. I don't know if you know that, but I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Like I, I can't complain about anything. Actually, yeah. the one thing I can complain about is we, we need more red pandas in the wild. We need I mean, to yes. help them come back. Yes. So tell me about the eco trip. Like, what did you do? How long were you gone? How many pandas did you see? How jealous am I? The answer is a lot. But other than that, answer those questions. Well, why don't you guess how many red pandas I saw? I'm going with three. In that 10-day trip, which included four days, roughly, out in the uh, Tapeljung wilderness, pretty high up in the Himalayas. Like, I think the highest point back there that we went was about 15,000 feet. And our, I think the base where we were staying at was like 9,000 feet. So there's these hills up there, and it's hard to describe. There's a cloud forest up yeah. there, and people call it a jungle. It's not really like any jungle you see. It's not like the Amazon. There's, there's not like a great mental image for a place like this, but it's relatively dense. It's not super green in the early spring. Like There's still a lot of brown, like fallen leaves, like trees that are relatively bare. But it's very high up, and the fog comes rolling off the Himalayas, and it covers these hills, and it goes in like these sheets. Um, like one moment you'll be in this dense fog, and then it'll blow off, and then it'll come back. And when you get to the top of the ridge at the temple that overlooks Tapeljung, you can actually see the fog forming, and it like makes these circles over the hill, and it'll like disappear and reappear. And it has this weird religious feel up there, like you're really cold, and you're a little bit oxygen deprived the trees are covered in these lichens and mosses and they're very like brownish reddish clumpy like blobs on these trees and you think you see red pandas everywhere (laughs) to be fair i live in the united states and i think i see red pandas everywhere but but you mean for a real reason in this case because that's what their camouflage is yeah like it's i've not been to a zoo anywhere in the world that has something that represents what red panda habitat actually looks like. I remember going there and starting to see those lichens in the trees and realizing, wow, this is where the red pandas are. I could see one at any time if I was just looking in the right. Like, it's very exciting to just be at the home where they live. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine so. And the first two days that we were out on those hills, we were following these trails, going to check the camera traps to see what the Red Panda Network Forest Guardians had found. And we learned about their camera traps and how to like change the SD cards and things. We're going around the trails. We're looking in the high parts of the trees for red panda droppings. And those first two days, we saw probably eight or nine latrine sites. So we're going around in the cold, lost in the forest, and our only reward is seeing panda poop. Which is still pretty great, but not as great as a panda. Well, these hills are pretty treacherous. Like we're hiking around in these portions of hills where maybe if you're a red panda and you can jump from tree to tree, it's super (laughs) easy, but it's like a 45 degree incline hill. Right. And if you fall, you could be tumbling down and seriously injured. And then you're climbing up like nine or 10 feet into a tree to see this like hanging branch where there might be a pocket of panda droppings. So yeah, on that third day, after risking our lives, in these like hilly, treacherous areas, somebody saw in their binoculars on this cliff ridge a red panda. Ooh. And in order to get to that panda, the forest guardians went ahead of us and they were pulling us up these like 60 degree slopes. Wow. And we were scrambling up by the skin of our teeth just to get to this point where somebody else had like stood in place and saw the panda in the tree and made sure it didn't move. <laughs> And if we got up there fast enough, maybe we could see the red panda too. And eventually we did. And uh, I have a couple photos in Red Panda Finder of this animal. But we saw this animal and that was wonderful. And we had about 45 minutes with it before it found a way to climb down the tree and sconter over the cliff and run off. It was a beautiful red panda and it was very dark and small. A lot of the Ilurus fulgens animals are relatively light-faced. And I think geographically, this has almost certainly had to be a Fulgens, but it did not look like one. Right. 
It was very interesting. I've actually been doing a little more research and digging into that myself. And I, I believe it's a lot harder to tell which um, species is which based on facial recognition and color coloration and all that stuff. I used to be pretty darn sure about it. And then I started finding some, even just in American zoos, there are some really shocking examples of like super dark um, fulgens and, and super light styani. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. You're in, in Pingjing, your uh, Philadelphia zoo children. Yes. Um, they look very Stiani, but they are not. Nope. Especially Pingjing, he's very dark. But even Yeren, like Yeren looks a lot like Gein a bit. Like mm. she he has the same same big white sort of like marker stripes above his eyes. Right. I think the only tell I have for Stiani versus Fulgens, the Fulgens are definitely smaller. Yes. Yeah. And there's like an almond shape to the eyes of the Fulgens and it's like they're almond shaped, but like diagonally tilted inwards mm-hmm. a little bit. And the Stianis tend to have more just straight oval eyes rather than almond. Though they're, that's probably just my psychology. Like, I think I know what they look like based on having seen all the zoo ones that I recognize. But as soon as I see one from like a Chinese zoo, which I have very poor data for, like all bets are off. Right. Yeah, it gets interesting sometimes. Yeah, um, man. But so you, so you saw your first, your first wild panda, and was that the only one you saw, or did you see more? Or? That was the only one we saw. Okay, cool. That's you saw a wild panda. I'm, I'm jealous. That's really cool. How many pandas in your world have you met? And when I say met, I mean like you know, to their level of comfort, but behind the scenes type experiences. You you know what I'm talking about, right? don't actually remember how many times I've been behind the scenes. I think it's less than 10 and more than five. Okay. Um, I just, I feel really lucky that people trust me enough to be willing to let me do that. Yeah. It's really amazing. I just like that in hindsight, if I wanted to tell somebody, if you want to spend more time with animals, just make something that's really devoted to animals. And then maybe people like, that seems very clear logic, but that was, there was no part of my thought process. Well, and that's why, that's why both of us get to have these experiences though. Let's be real clear on this. If you made a website with your sinister intention being to go get to hang out with a bunch of red pandas, people would see right through that crap and it wouldn't work. If I made a podcast where my intention was to go hang out with a bunch of cool animals, including red pandas, people would see right through that crap and would see me get all huffy when they say I can't do it or whatever. And my podcast would not exist. But because we are both good people who are trying to do something good for animals, uh, people will reward that sometimes. And that's awesome. But if it ever became, you know, um, I went to Happy Hollow today. And they said, you know, the pandas are not like comfortable with humans. So they let me go in and I got to see Will Smith from a distance. He was in a yard. I was in a building. It was very cool that they let me into that behind the scenes area. I am so glad. I guarantee you if I then turned to them and said, do you know who I am? I want to meet Will Smith the panda right now. That would not have gone well. And then they would talk to other panda keepers and my days of hanging out with pandas would be gone. They would have chucked you into Coyote Creek. (laughs) Fortunately, there are turtles in Coyote Creek. You would have liked it. I do like turtles. But um, yeah, but so like, I think, I think it's cool that we get to have those moments from time to time because we come from an authentic place, you know? And I think that's important to say. Um, I guess the last thing that I was wondering, obviously conservation, Red Panda Network, we've talked about them a ton, duh. But are there any people that you would like to give a shout out to you can do names you can do instagram handles anyone who has influenced you and been important in helping you build some of these relationships or anything like that there's a really big list of people that i should be very thankful for i don't even know where to start (laughs) um carolyn is a big part i think of why i met you yes and why i met christy and why i met jamie Yes. Who was at Woodland Park Zoo until she moved to Galveston. And man, I I should do a genealogy of why I know all the red panda (laughs) people I know. (laughs) The red panda fan finder coming soon to the internet near you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
but actually for dating this time actually dating. <laughs> uh no Car- carolyn's probably the start of my network of folks in the u.s and she is so sweet and thoughtful and wonderful and she has so much time and energy to talk to folks i she she is a force of nature absolutely for those who aren't aware this is the person who runs the cars in the red panda page um so i was grateful to meet you yeah i was very grateful to meet christy carolyn was like you have to meet christy you have to go to columbus yes this is christina who has been on the podcast and i don't know why it took me so long but i had such a good time hanging out with you guys dude that was so much fun we, we were there for uh, international red panda day and we we um even though they were domestic pandas and not international, we, we we spent lots of time enjoying ourselves there. And we got sushi together, all three of us, which was a blast. Yeah. I should definitely thank uh, Kat for the trip to Nepal. Yes. Very grateful for that and very grateful for, you know, being the source of all this red panda madness. Well, she says I was the source. I don't know where it really came from. Like It's just a beautiful thing that happened at that moment for the two of you. It's awesome. And she still loves pandas and is, is involved in stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, sometimes I blame it on my male biological clock. I was like, I was fated to love these animals that just happened to be the size of like very young children and happened to be beautiful and helpless looking and whatever. Like, You have met Cora. At, uh, Columbus, they are not helpless. Well, that's, that's, that's true. Um, I don't have the scratch. I've been lucky. I've avoided scratches. Like, and I've I've had some like very aggressive ones like come at me for apples, but mm-hmm. I just know what to do. Mm-hmm. I kind of treat it like a heist, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just have to give up the goods. Mm-hmm. The people at Happy Hollow, like, I I do a really poor job of mem- remembering keepers and names there, but I really love visiting happy hollow and like keeping track of all their animals. Um, like the keepers, they're all really wonderful and sweet to me. And I'm mindful of how goofy I must be as like red panda guy, but they're very patient. They're like, it's good that there are red panda people. I think, um, in Japan, I have a friend named Daniel from Italy. And then there is, uh, Hachi-san, who, uh, they were my two original buddies from Ichikawa Zoo. I should give shout outs to, uh, Ishimisu-san and, uh, Miyanu Mayu, who is Movies 21 and Sapporo. There's so many people on Instagram that have contributed hundreds and hundreds of photos to Red Panda Finder. I would thank every one of them by name if I could, but there's probably like five dozen of them. Now. I would edit that crap out anyway. It's very kind of you, but you know, I have a listening audience. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but boring. seriously, it is very important to thank everyone who does contribute because that is much like how my zoo news episodes are crowdsourced. It really helps to get that, you know, help. Yeah. Sometimes I think a red panda finder is like Google for pandas and people really respect Google because it's like, this makes the information more available to you. It's like, it's your interface to finding things. And it's kind of this false attribution, I think, because the information was out there with or without Google. Like it's the people that make these photos and that share these things that are the reason that red Panda finder is good. Like if nobody was sharing photos, then I wouldn't have anything to share with the world. I just have my photos and you know, I think that's like 370 of the 30,000. It's not very many. Yeah. But I'm super grateful. Like, it's a very good community of folks. It's people that just love these animals without thinking twice about it. And you think about all the communities on the internet that have like these toxic things and problems. It's like, I want to be part of a community that just loves something for the sake of loving it. That's good enough for me. That's awesome. And that's exactly what it is. So uh, I'm glad that we've gotten to become friends through that community. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Cheers. Cheers. Redpandafinder.com, your place to go and learn about all the red pandas that you can find in the States, in Japan, and 
anywhere else that Justin can get good pictures and information about the pandas. Gotta love it. And I was going to make a joke saying something like Red Panda Finder, where you can go to find pandas. But hey, quick reminder, I'll joke about almost anything, but not about having pandas as pets because for International Red Panda Day week, which is what I'm celebrating, uh, it's important to remember, hashtag no panda pets. They're adorable, but they are not pets. All right, y'all. So um, yeah, make sure that you are following all of the socials. You're probably going to see some cool fundraiser stuff for Red Panda Network this week. And uh, you could, oh, I don't know, help Red Panda Network and help Red Pandas in the wild by... um making some donations. I don't know why I did a weird voice there, but again, tired, grad school, all that stuff. So anyway, I would like to uh, thank y'all for being here. Thank my red panda, heyo, level patron, Laura Shank, and remind you all that you can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. And remember y'all, if the word credits backwards snuck up on a red panda then my buddy Justin thinks it would sound like this. Ah, 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 ah. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.